0: Found on page 556 in the pew Bible in front of you. It's at the bottom of 556 in the pew Bible in front of you. Ecclesiastes 7. We're gonna look at verses 15 through 29. 7:15 through 7:29. Verse 15. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers, rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which, was, that which has been is far off and deep, very deep, who can find it out? I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we open your word, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive it, that we would understand that there are things that are too deep for us. Who can understand? Who can grasp? And so we recognize this, and we pray that you would speak to us through your word, that we would apply it, that we would take these truths that we see, and might we use them and bring them glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? Have you ever heard these questions before? Perhaps you maybe wrestled with them yourself. How do we explain what happened in the church in Texas? How do we explain the death of a young child and yet corrupt people who indulge in sin live to be in their 90s? My answer? Good question. We don't know. Although we might give an answer like, because life's not fair, or because we live in a sinful and fallen world where bad things happen to good people, such is life under the sun. But at the end of the day, it is a mystery. It's puzzling, and it doesn't make sense. So much in our world doesn't make sense and can't be explained. We recognize this. Even with wisdom, we can search to discover the answer to life's difficult questions, but only walk away with a few answers. This is the sort of issue that Israel may have been wrestling with as well. This is the sort of thing that Solomon reflects upon in in our text this morning. There are things in life that are puzzling that he can't find out that are too deep to understand. And so instead of trying to solve the mysteries in life and the mysteries in our world, we are to respond in a certain way. That's what I want to unpack for us this morning. As Solomon reflects upon our character, in relation to the mysteries in life. And so I want to focus on our character and how we respond to life's mysteries. So first, you can see this in your outline. Fear God and avoid the extremes. Do not trust in your own righteousness and do not indulge in sin. These are going to be the extremes. Trusting in our own righteousness and indulging in sin. So look with me again at verses 15 through 18. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Solomon observes in verse 15 a puzzling reality. It's a, it's, a, it's a paradox. A righteous man dies in spite of his righteousness, and a wicked man prolongs his life in spite of his wickedness. Right? This statement would have been puzzling because the general pattern and, and theme in the Old Testament was that if a person obeyed God and acted righteously, they were blessed. And if a person disobeyed and acted wickedly, they were cursed. Right? This is part of the blessings for obedience and the covenant curses for their disobedience. Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So the good person is is supposed to live long and prosper. The evil person is supposed to perish in their sin. But what Solomon observes is is startling to the audience. The the righteous man dies young in his righteousness, and, and the wicked man lives a long life in his evil doing. It's a mystery. And then in verses 16 through 18, we're given the proper response to this Dilemma. And might I just say, these words that he says in verses 16 through 18 are mysterious as well. All right? They can be confusing. Verses 16 through 18 Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. So here's what I think Solomon means by this. First, he does not mean, here's what he doesn't mean. Make sure that you're not obeying all the time. Sin a little. You don't want to be too righteous. And make sure you're not sinning all the time. Right? Do some good things. You don't want to be overly wicked. Let me illustrate. Let me illustrate this. Imagine the person, and maybe it's me, imagine me, right? Being overly concerned with living a healthy lifestyle. And someone says to me, It's good for you. You should eat junk food. And drink pop and eat more donuts sometimes you don't want to be too healthy or to those who don't care about their health don't eat junk food only and candy only eat something good Make sure you have a balanced diet of things, right, that are good for you and bad for you. Make sure you have a balanced diet of things that please God and things that don't please God. That's not what he's saying. Rather, I think this is what he's getting at. Is that the people are putting their hope and security of a longer and life and a prosperous life on the basis of their actions, on the basis of their own righteousness? If, think about this, if the righteous are dying young, then I need to be more righteous to live longer. Or, If the righteous are dying young and the wicked are living longer lives, then then why bother being righteous? You see? So we are to avoid these two extremes. Don't trust in your own righteousness and your own wisdom as though these things will enable you to live a longer life and receive the blessings of God. If I just obey God all the time, then God will bless me. This is, the, this is the Pharisee in us, isn't it? And so you're, you're overly righteous. You are super righteous. Holier than thou. And it leads to self-righteousness. It destroys you. You end up being deceived with a false righteousness. So you, you become legalistic, trusting in your righteousness in order to earn a place with God or receive a better life from God. Perhaps for the Jew, let me illustrate it again, perhaps for the Jew, if I'm told I'm not to eat pork, then it's a sin to go to the grocery store where they sell pork. You see? And then we condemn everyone who goes to the grocery store. Because they're not living up to our standard. What does this look like in your life? Maybe it looks like the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus God. Now just listen to this prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Or maybe we say it like this. You could hear hear the pride and arrogance in that, couldn't you? Maybe we say it like this. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes. I give everything that I have. The Pharisee in me is prone to condemn or criticize those who don't meet our standard or aren't at the same level of righteousness or right living, right? The Pharisee in me is prone to place the hope of earthly blessings or even eternal life on the basis of how righteous we are. We can outwardly strive really hard to be moral law keepers and find our security in this and yet have a heart that is far from God. Even as Matthew prayed, Rend our hearts, not our garments. From Joel chapter 2. Outwardly, we can sure look like we're doing well. And yet I have a heart that's far from God. And Solomon seems to be warning us against this this kind of super-righteousness mentality that would manifest itself in a a pride, self-righteous heart. And I think it's a good reminder that none of us have arrived and Solomon warns us also against an overly wicked overly sinful mentality as well if doing good doesn't make my life easier and more comfortable then why be good why not sin deliberately Why not give myself to the pleasures of this world? Just because we see the presence of sin in our life doesn't mean we should give in to it deliberately or give in more and more to it. These are the two extremes. And walking in the fear of the Lord, notice this, walking in the fear of the Lord enables us to avoid these two extremes. The end of verse 18, For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. So Solomon's point seems to be this. Fearing God will keep you from trusting in your own righteousness and your wisdom, and fearing God will keep you from giving in to sin and prevent you from seeking your security and hope for the future based on your actions. So, how do you respond to life's mysteries? Fear God. Trust not in your own righteousness, but trust in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Second, second. Seek wisdom and think rightly about yourself. Live wisely and understand that we are sinners. Okay, look with me now at verses 19 through 22. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man, more than 10 rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. So Solomon begins this section by illustrating the value of wisdom. And he he seems to be encouraging us to pursue wisdom because it is greater than power. Wisdom is greater than 10 rulers of a city. The rulers and the leaders in a city or a nation provide protection for the city. The rulers affect the lives of others as they make decisions. And in a far greater way, wisdom protects us because it enables us to understand how to live in our fallen world. It directs us, wisdom directs us and guides us so that our conduct is right and honoring to the Lord. We need wisdom because we live in a sinful and fallen world. And we need wisdom because we are sinners. In verse 20, Solomon says that there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. We are all sinners. Even the wise still sin. We still fall short of of God's glory. The Apostle Paul says in Romans three ten that none is righteous, no, not one. Except of course Jesus. He is the only one who is truly righteous, who always obeyed God the Father. And to illustrate how we we sin, Solomon gives an example with our words. If you ever wonder, if you ever wonder whether or not you sin, just look at our words. Examine your words and what you say about people. In James 3, we learn that we all stumble in many ways. And then he proved this point by by reminding us of our inability to tame the tongue. And so we need wisdom. Because wisdom will help us respond rightly to what people might say about us. Or even how we are to react to what people say or what we hear that people say about us. Have you ever wished, have you ever wished you could be a fly on the wall? Right? Perhaps you've, after you've been with family or friends, you're thinking to yourself, you've just been with family gathering, maybe Thanksgiving or whatever. I wonder what they're saying about our time there. I wonder what they're saying about me. Well, this is a different kind of mystery, isn't it? You're not sure what they're saying about you. We don't want to know what people say about us. And to be honest, that's the case. People aren't friendly to that fly, it gets smashed. So, in verse 21, wisdom teaches us that we shouldn't pay attention to what people say about us. Have you ever watched a talk show or listened to a radio show and actually thought about what people are saying about others? Right on Mondays when I typically take my day off, I like to watch sports radio. Just listen to what they say about the players or the comments that people make. It's generally not nice, is it? Or have you ever read the comments, the comments section in online posts? Perhaps you've done that. Wisdom says don't pay attention to what people say. You might hear someone that you really care about say cruel and disappointing things about you the wise person is not obsessed with what other people think about them. If a mystery in life is what is said behind closed doors and in in our vanity we become overly concerned with what people think or say about us, we are going to be miserable. Wisdom doesn't care about the opinion of others. Now that doesn't mean I don't care about what people think of me. I'm just going to do my own thing then. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to say my own thing. I'm going to do whatever I want, and I don't care what people think of me. I'm going to do things my way. That's not what we mean here. Wisdom seeks the counsel of others. So the mystery of what people say about us or think of us, don't take it seriously and let it affect us spiritually or emotionally. I would also add this. Don't assume the worst either. Right? People are having conversation about you or you find out, guess what, it might not even be bad. Typically, if someone's having a conversation about me, I'm saying, I'm a lot worse than what you're saying. That's all you said about me? I'm a lot worse. Here's why. Verse 22. Here's why we shouldn't let it affect us. Verse 22. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. Wisdom acknowledges our own sin. We need to think rightly about ourselves. The moment that we get frustrated because we overheard what someone had to say about us, or what people think of us, we need to remember who we are. We need to look in the mirror. We've done the same thing. We've said all we've all said things we've regret, we've said things that have hurt others. We need to look at our own selves. None of us are truly righteous. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We've all stumbled with our words. And Solomon's point is that when we understand our own sinfulness, that we've done the very same thing, it should enable us to show mercy and compassion to others. That what they say shouldn't affect us spiritually. So, might we not be concerned with what people say about us? Let's not hold grudges. Let's be ready and willing to forgive. Let's be ready and willing to confess our own sin, to ask God to forgive us. And when sinned against, let's show grace, let's show compassion on others. And the same compassion that God has shown us. Because he sent his son, the only righteous one, to die for all the times that we've cursed God because we have cursed those who are made in His image. Now third and finally, flee folly and understand the limitations of wisdom. Flee immorality and understand the limitations of wisdom. Longer section, let's read it together. Verses 23 through 29. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which, has been fa- that which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. As Solomon investigates the character of people, himself included, he observes that there are mysteries in life that he cannot discover with the wisdom. He cannot discover with the wisdom of man. Solomon wanted to know the role of wisdom in the scheme of things. He wanted to know the wickedness of folly. In other words, he's trying to discover the way things are in the world. He's using wisdom to see how things really work. Notice verses 23 and 24. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? The way things are in the world, he could not find out. They were were very far, right? They're far off, and they're also deep. He could not discover it with his wisdom. And then he gives his personal testimony. He gives a personal testimony here, and he reveals his findings. First, there were things that he could not find out with wisdom. And second, there were some things he found. He found something more bitter than death in verse 26. He found one man in a thousand who pleases God, in verse 28, and he found that God made us upright, but we sought out many schemes, in verse 29. And as we examine these conclusions, I take it the application for us, then, is to flee folly and understand the limitations of wisdom. We are to please God. To put it positively, we are to please God. We are to be faithful and upright. And realize that there are limitations. We cannot find out all that God is doing in our world. Or why there are mysteries in life. I think it's wise to acknowledge this, that we don't have answers to life's mysteries. When you talk to your children, or when you witness to your neighbor or co-worker, it is right and okay to say, I don't know. Why did bad things happen? I don't know. I don't know. Why did this person have to die? I don't know. Why are those who are wicked prospering? I don't know. But there are some things we do know that Solomon found out and discovered with wisdom. What does he find? Verse 26, I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. What is more bitter than death? The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. Solomon is speaking from personal experience, isn't he? Women was his downfall. They were his downfall. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And then in 1 Kings 11, we learn that his wives turned away his heart from God after other gods. Solomon looks at his own situation, and it was more bitter than death. There is a certain kind of woman this sounds similar to woman folly in, in Proverbs 9. She brings us pleasure, but we actually fall into a trap, snares and nets, like, like a hunter's net, and her hands are like prison's chains, like chains, and now we're in bondage, having been captured by her, but the one who pleases God escapes her. This sounds like Solomon is speaking from personal experience. He's the king, right? He's the king, and the women want him. And he can't say no. And now he recalls the foolishness of this. What he perhaps thought would bring him freedom, bring him power, bring him wealth, bring him honor, brought bondage. He was captured, and it seems like he's captured by every woman that wanted him. The end truly was more bitter than death for Solomon. His disobedience in this matter, you recall, your study of the Bible, his turning his heart away from God resulted in the divided kingdom of Israel. The kingdom is split, and it eventually led to their downfall and to their exile from the land. So, point of application flee folly. Flee immorality. Do not go near the door of her house. Right? Like Joseph in in Genesis, run far away. Make it your aim to please God. Right? We can can broaden the application for all of us. Make it our aim to please God. And you will escape temptation. These sort of temptations. Solomon finds one man among a thousand. In other words, it's hard to find a faithful man who pleases God. And then he makes a mysterious statement at the end of verse 28. But a woman among all these I have not found. What does he mean by that? I take it he's referring to a woman among These, okay, notice that phrase among these, as a woman whose heart is snares and nets, back from verse 26, which he personally gave into. Of his foreign wives, not one of them, so to speak, pursued God or sought to please God. Right? Of, Of all of his wives and concubines, not one of them sought to please God. That's how I take it. You might take it differently, I'm not sure but I don't think he's condemning women here. I just want to make that clear. I don't think he's condemning women because he loved women. He loved women. So he seems to be putting all people, men and women, on the same equal ground. Who can find someone faithful? This isn't the way it's supposed to be, right? There's a reason that, that advertising, that companies... In advertising and promoting commercials, or you watch commercials, I try to fast forward them, there's a reason that they put women on the forefront of the ad, right? Well, that's the way men are. Now we'll buy their products. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And this is the conclusion in verse 29. God made man upright, but they sought out many schemes. This reminds us of the Garden of Eden. When God made Adam and Eve, He made them upright. He made them perfect in His image. And yet in their pursuit of wisdom, they they thought they knew what was best for them. In their attempt to be like God, they gave in to temptation. They sought out their own schemes. And that's us. God made people upright, but we have sinned. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Isaiah 53. But it continues. We've we've gone after our own ways, but the Lord laid on him, the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. We've gone astray, but God was gracious to us. We have received God's grace in Jesus Christ. And so we have been redeemed. Because of the work of Jesus Christ and and the giving of the Holy Spirit, we can live an upright life. Right? Titus chapter 2, God's grace has appeared and brought us salvation and trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. We can work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is working in us to will and to act according to His good pleasure. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We can flee from folly. We can flee from immorality by God's grace. Though we certainly relate to the experiences of Solomon, in so many ways, let's never forget that God's grace is truly greater than all our sin. So even though, even though we don't understand the, the mysteries in life and the things that are going on in our world, let's fear God, let's seek wisdom, and let's strive to please God in all that we do this week. Let's seek to please Him in all that we do. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, so often we try to figure out the things that are happening in our world. We try to use our own wisdom, our own understanding. And we cannot fully grasp what you are doing in our world. And knowing that, we want to make it our aim this week to fear you, to seek after you, and to please you in our day-to-day life. And so I, I pray, Father, that you would pour out your mercy and grace upon us as well as we recognize how often we do sin and fall short of your glory. Would we remember this week that your grace is sufficient that we have experienced it, and might your grace enable us to live a life that honors you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.